Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom, and I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about cognitive dissonance in our quest for the keys to the kingdom. Uh, this uh, idea of Christ coming to set the captive free from sin does require that the sinner stop sinning. <laughs> it, it requires repentance and repentance is a changing of your thinking. And the changing of your thinking should change what you do. That's what faith is all about. Faith is uh, a probity, a forcing of the individual to act in a certain way according to his faith. If If he thinks something is true, but it's not a matter of conviction or faith, he will continue to act uh, contrary to what he believes is true because it's not truly a conviction. And the, so the evidence of your belief, of your faith, is the fact that your actions will change. You will start doing things differently because you're thinking differently and you're thinking differently because you have faith. Well, faith is a gift. So without that gift of faith, then you will probably not really change. You know, positive thinking aside and trying to discipline yourself is really just a continuation of the sin of Adam, which was he was going to decide what was good and evil on his own and not walk with God. Well, walking with God means walking with the Spirit of God in you, with the intent of God in you. And that will alter... Uh, your thinking because it will include this abstract idea of faith which is actually a spiritual let's call it a cloak that uh, we put on internally because that's where the spirit is it's not an external cloak where you put on priest robes and and say magic words and Suddenly you're changed by this or recite the catechism over and over again. These things don't change you. They actually can cloud your mind. Well, one of the things, like I said, we will talk about is cognitive dissonance. and uh, But we should keep it in perspective of what, you know, what really makes us, uh, I don't like to use the word human, but children of God. Let's put it that way. What makes us this civilized creature? I don't even like to use the word civilized because it has other connotations. But this uh, moral uh, creature with a soul and a mind and the ability to make changes in our life by based upon a moral criteria. Well, uh, years ago, the anthropologist Margaret Mead was asked by one of her students what she considered to be the first sign of civilization in a culture of people. As an anthropologist, she's looking at people and the primitive people and what 
what moves the psychology of a civilization or a nation. And then a student had expected me to talk about, you know, uh, the invention of fish bones or clay pots or plows or grinding stones, you know, the establishment of tools, that this is a sign of civilization. But her answer gives you a little bit of insight into why Margaret Mead was so famous, is that uh, she said the first sign of civilization in an ancient culture was a femur thigh bone that had been broken and then healed. And so why was that? Well, Mead was explaining that in, in the animal kingdom, that if you break your femur bone or a major bone, chances are you're dead. You know, for, you know, for deer, for a hunting animal, you know, a three-legged lion doesn't catch much. And so the reality is the fact that a man broke his femur bone and still survived shows that there was a culture that could help him in his time of affliction. That other men and women took care of him long enough so that his femur bone could knit back and he could again walk and run and do the things necessary to survive. That was a sign of civilization. Well, that can be boiled down into a very simple concept that we see repeated over and over again in the Bible, and that is to love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, and I've told the story about the cop who came up on a a cliff in Hawaii where it's a little turnout where you you get a viewing area, and there was a little stone wall there uh, where you could look over and see the view. And somebody was about to jump over and he ran over and he grabbed the individual as he was jumping over. And the weight of the individual pulled him over. His partner arrived just in the nick of time and grabbed his feet as he was being pulled over the cliff, over that the retaining wall. And he could hold him there, but he could not lift his partner up. Because the partner was still holding on to the person who was trying to commit suicide. And so this is, if you can picture that chain, that human chain of people holding, you know, the, the cop on the top saying, let go of him and I can pull you up. And, but he can't pull him up. And there was nobody else around. Well, eventually people did show up and they pulled them all up to safety. And a news reporter was asking the first cop, why didn't he just let go of the guy? And allowed the guy to pull him over. When he knew the guy was, weight of the guy was pulling him over the side of the cliff, why didn't he just let go? And he said, I couldn't because letting go of him would have been like letting go of myself. Well, that's amazing that he was that astute and, uh, or so filled with personal observation that he could say something like that. It was just honesty. Uh, that he, this guy he did not even know, had never met, had no interaction with. He could not let go of him and let him die because it would have been a like letting go of himself. Well, that is one of the keys to the kingdom and you cannot conjure that up by reading a catechism or even by reading the Bible over and over again. Because it's not a mental choice. It's, it goes much deeper than 
simply the thoughts that stream through your head. So, anyway, how civilized are you? Well, life usually shows us. <laughs> Eventually. Uh, somebody wrote the book, uh, The Confessions of a Misfit. Uh, Mac- I can't remember his name. It's like Macacoma. Um he he wrote there was a number of quotes and I remember most people do not have a problem with you thinking for yourself as long as your conclusions are the same or at least compatible with their own beliefs and this is the way a lot of people look at it at least the, the, there are some people who don't mind you having another opinion other than their own They don't mind you thinking something other than what they think. They don't mind, you know, it's the old, can we agree to disagree? And uh, somebody said that to me once. Well, we'll just have to agree to disagree. And I says, well, first you'd have to know what I'm talking about uh, in order to disagree with it. Because what, what I was talking about was what Christ actually said. But they didn't want to hear what Christ, Christ actually said. They, they wanted to believe they already knew what Christ actually said. And so they never engaged me in a conversation about what I believed Christ said. Because they believed they already knew what Christ said. And they had inklings of the fact that they thought they knew what I believed. But they never got it from me because we never had any conversations. <laughs> so they, their belief in what I believe was based on gossip and hearsay. They didn't read my books. They didn't read my pamphlets. They didn't listen to my audios. They only knew about what was in the rumor mill. And they never took the time to actually come to me and ask me, well, what what do you think, or do you think this, or why do you think this? They weren't interested in having the conversation because they felt they could agree to disagree. In other words, that we we hear the same idea, the spirit of the same idea, and there are no right answers. And when people say things like uh, "your truth." You know, that's that's another way of saying we can agree to disagree. Now, if we have contradictory ideas about the same thing, one of us, at least one of us, is wrong. We could have both be wrong. But your your idea has no effect on reality. Reality is God's idea. Uh, so another thing... Uh, Makakoma uh, said was uh, plants are more courageous than almost all human beings an orange tree would rather die than produce a lemon whereas instead of dying the average person would rather be someone they are not the point is that in nature you know a lemon is a lemon and an orange is an orange and uh, apple is an apple, and they are what they are, and they have no opinion about being something other than what they are. But mankind can have an opinion 
that he is something that he is not. And he would rather die than to give up that opinion. That is kind of the ultimate cognitive dissonance, which is what I said we were going to talk about. Uh, but that is a question everybody should ask. How can how can we observe the same exact events and come to opposing conclusions about what we saw? Now, we have recently this election went on and, and uh, the, the large numbers of the Democrats are saying that we just have to accept the results and, uh, you know, just go on with it. Which is a, a number of people, including some Democrats, have pointed out that the Democrats didn't do that last time. <laughs> there was an election. <laughs> that for three and a half years, they did not accept the results of the election. They fought against it in, in all kinds of ways that had nothing to do with the election. They didn't want to have recounts and, and, and uh, check for voter fraud or any of that sort of thing that might have gone on. They wanted to impeach the presidents because of uh, Russian co- uh, collusion, and uh, and they they went from one scenario to another, and the press was in on the deal in a big way because everybody seemed to love to hate Trump, and I know that Trump is not your salvation, but it was an interesting thing to observe how people were going about this kind of cognitive, it was the seeds of cognitive dissonance that we see all the time. I mean, we have people who want to think they're women and they're clearly men. Born men, lived as men, have all the testosterone and physical ability, but they want to race women and think they have achieved something when they beat women in a race. They can't beat men in a race but they can beat women, so they say they're a woman and they want to race women because they can come in first racing women. Uh, that is cognitive dissonance. And that has been given a free license in, in the world today. Why? Because almost everybody is suffering from this uh, cognitive dissonance. Uh, I mean, the term is used to describe the mental discomfort that results from holding two conflicting beliefs, values, or attitudes at the same time. People tend to seek consistency in their attitudes and perception. That's what the psychologists say. So this conflict causes feelings of unease or discomfort. And so to avoid that discomfort, they will do all sorts of rationalizing. Now, that's a pretty abstract idea, and there's actually other ways that we can define the term, such as, you know, the mental stress, unease, or discomfort in the mind because of conflicting ideas. Conflicting, you know, our idea conflict, uh, of reality conflicts with the reality that we see. And so we have to kind of reinvent reality in our own minds in order to comfort ourselves. Now, I can give you all kinds of extreme examples of that. Like uh, uh, years ago, back in the 50s, there was a lady named Dorothy Martin. And and uh, she was a channeler in, 
religion that uh, has now become Scientology. It wasn't called Scientology back then, but it's now become Scientology. And she was channeling from somebody on the planet Clarion, uh, which is an interesting name for a planet Clarion. That means like the sea clearly uh, planet or something. But anyway, uh, she predicted back uh, in the 1950s that uh, on December 21st, 1957, that the world would come to an end. And she had lots of people listening to her. I don't know what she was saying at the time, but somehow or other she got quite a following. And they, you know, like they quit their jobs and they sold their house and and they did all kinds of uh, extreme things and were all going to meet up on this hill on December 21st, 1957 or someplace. I think it was on a hill. Uh, and uh, they would be picked up by flying saucers and spared because of their faith. Well, obviously, the world wasn't destroyed, at least in the timeline that I existed. <laughs> in 1957, the world was not destroyed. I completely missed it. I didn't see the flying saucers come, and uh, we weren't all inundated by destruction. So what did all those people think when they came to the conclusion that uh, they were wrong? That uh, Dorothy Martin did not know what was about to happen and that all their uh, shunning of material goods and the preparation for the end of the world was a waste of time. Did they all go home feeling bad or whatever? No. They actually sought publicity, believe it or not. They wanted to go out and, and get news coverage of the fact that their faith had saved the planet. That the people on the planet Clarion altered things so that the earth was not destroyed because of their faith. And they wanted everybody to know about this. And you think like, wow. (laughs) Maybe, you know, maybe it wasn't going to be destroyed. And, I mean, these people have... No evidence that the planet Clarion even exists. This is all Dorothy Martin saying that this is what's going to happen. And so, what the heck is that all about? Well, there happened to be a psychologist who had uh, joined the group. Uh, uh, Festinger, I think is his name. Leon Festinger. He was a social psychologist. And uh, he had joined the group and was watching to see what... What they would do? How would? Yeah, he he found this all fascinating. This this blindly following this literally a cult leader and uh, doing what that cult leader tells them to do. How how did they they come to the in grips with the fact that none of the things that she predicted came place? I mean, they didn't even get the flying saucer stop by and say we saved the earth. They just they just assumed it, I guess, because she told them that's what happened. And you think, well, how can people be so delusional? Well, evidently they can be, but the question is, if you can get that extreme in delusion, could you also be deceived in a much more subtle way, on a much more minor way, to accept certain ideas as true that just aren't so? I mean, it's like Trump being a racist. 
Now, there may be some racism in him, but there's no evidence that he's a racist. I mean, he, he's been helping black people for a long, long time. That there was inference that one of the companies that rented out to, uh, rented out housing, cause he owned a bunch of housing units and apartment units, and that, uh, one of the managers had been deciding, they weren't found guilty, but they, so they were accused of discriminating against black tenants. Well, the reality is they had a disproportionate amount of black tenants already in the building. So, you know, compared to the amount of blacks in that general area, they had a large number of blacks. What in reality it was, was they were discriminating against um, people who were on welfare. Because people who were on welfare did not take care of the apartments. And so... And and they may not have even been discriminating against people on welfare, and this was a manager who was doing it. It's just that he would, through the years, he had learned to size up people that these people will not take care of the apartment. And I don't trust renting it to them. It's just like a guy selling cars. He There's some guys he may not. You know, the guy comes up with a white cane, wants to test drive the car. He's not going to let the guy test drive the car. <laughs> <laughs> because he doesn't think he can see well enough to test drive the car. That's not prejudice. That's judgment. Now, they were accused of that, but they they didn't get convicted of it. They And like I said, they had a disproportionate amount of people already renting who were black, so they were clearly renting to blacks all the time. And his whole life, has a history of not, uh, if actually going out of his way, spending his money to protect the rights of blacks. So, you know, like the country club events where he took country clubs in uh, Palm Springs to court to guarantee that blacks and Jews could enter into country clubs. Uh, he's helped out people over and over again. And it doesn't seem to have any regard towards race. Uh, black people... Uh, Asians, whatever. Uh, he's fired a lot of people too, but it's almost always because of incompetence. So, or at least what he perceives as incompetence. Now, the guy is no saint. There's no two ways about it. But racism really is just a made-up idea. And you see how people, you know, he's denied and denounced white supremacy over and over and over again. And yet, knowledgeable reporters are still asking him to denounce white supremacists. And he says, well, I do. I mean, like, what I have. And and they act like, well, why don't you do it right now? Well, I do. I, I'm denouncing them. <laughs> they go on like he hasn't. That is cognitive dissonance where they cannot hear that. But really, that's that's all in the political scheme and in the news and everything. What about you? That's what we want to look at. Do you have any of this? And let's take a look at some of the subtle ways in which this phenomena can take place in the individual. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So all these people that are living these delusional ideas out there uh, in the world who think uh, 
you know, that uh, Biden is their salvation or Trump is their salvation. Uh, what that 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 is a phenomena that uh, uh, is repeated over and over again in our whole lives on things that are even a lot more important than who is the president of the United States. And uh, you know, I mean, the the woman who is keeps going back to the husband who beats her and eventually kills her. Why in the world would she keep doing that? Well, cognitive dissonance. Uh, why would somebody have uh, their bodies mutilated uh, trying to change themselves from a woman to a man or a man to a woman? And that what, what is going on in that individual's mind and thinking, and, and you can interview people who have actually done this and then realized later that they were suffering from cognitive dissonance and have explained in great detail why they were suffering from that. And uh, But then a lot of people don't want to hear that. They don't want to listen to what that individual has to say about it. Having lived the experience. And then, then you look at the statistics that the people who go and finally have the operation that changes them have actually a higher rate of suicide than the people who don't. Why would they have a higher rate of suicide? Because it didn't work. They thought the goal was change myself physically and then I will be what I always meant to, was always meant to be. And I will be happy and I will be satisfied. But you're actually more depressed and you commit suicide. And they know that. Some of the guys who did the very first operations to change the sex of people advocated it, thought it was the solution, and now say, no, it's not, because they've seen firsthand over and over again the damage they've done, which my hat is off to them for finally admitting that that isn't the solution. Now, what is the solution? Therapy? (laughs) Chances are it's not the solution either. What is the problem? Why is that cognitive dissonance there? And more important... You know, again, it's pretty obvious that somebody, you know, born a man, uh, man all their life, but suddenly they, you know, like Bruce Jenner, suddenly starts wearing dresses and thinks that he's a woman. You know, the, what happened? Why did he do this? Why did he make this change in his mind? Uh, what is actually going on? Now, there's a lot of different theories about that, but, uh, what, could you be doing on a lot more subtle basis that may even get you into a lot more trouble, a lot more difficulties? So, uh, again, this uh, cognitive dissonance is this mental discomfort with an idea that may actually be a fact. And so that, you know, the flying saucers didn't show up and take, Dorothy Martin's cult away from the destruction of the planet and the planet didn't even wasn't even destroyed. And they just ended up making another excuse that of course they in their minds they look really good. They have saved the planet by their faith. And you could you could maybe even equate this to the, the story of Abraham. But you really have to be careful about implanting 
and uh, supplanting ideas with other ideas. You have to get in deeper and deeper and find out why are they suffering from this cognitive dissonance and what is the actual process going on. Well, uh, the psychologist uh, Festinger, who was there, uh, went on and did a study and uh, he refers to it as the one dollar lie that they actually got people to tell a lie they as a part of an experiment and if they would repeat the lie to other people unknowing people that don't know about the study if they were to repeat the lie to them they would give them $20 and so they did they went out and told people a lie and they got $20 for doing it they took another group and they they would tell the same lie, but they only were going to get $1. So what was the effect of that experiment? Well, the, ex- the effect of that experiment is that the people who told the lie for $1 began to believe the lie and began to rationalize reasons why the lie wasn't a lie or that it was okay to tell the lie. And uh, what it was was that they their conscience bothered them because the $20 that the guy got for telling the lie, he said, well, yeah, I, I told the lie, but I made 20 bucks. But the guy who told the lie and he only made a buck, that's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> he told a lie for a buck. And so he began to rationalize why he told the lie so that he would be more comfortable. The $20 made the other guy comfortable. Of course, that that's unbelievable. That goes back to the orange tree, lemon tree thing. As that, uh, you know, he he will uh, produce uh, the lies of lemons if uh, you give him 20 bucks, but he won't do it for a buck. But anyway, the reality is you can go back in, in history and look at... Uh, you know, the Chinese uh, practicing their brainwashing techniques on Americans during the Korean War. And and the same thing was going on with them. They Evidently, somebody had some insight into this. And so, what you do is you would get the Americans to write out just a little bit on a piece of paper about, uh, you know, what was good about communism or what was bad about democracy. You know, just list off the bad things about democracy. Write that down and you will get extra food rations. A little bit more rice, you know, um, maybe uh, a candle uh, so that you won't be sitting in the dark all the time. You have this little candle whereby you can, you know, write your little essay. And uh, that candle was comforting to have that little bit of light. And uh, guys would start to do it. And it was discovered eventually the last reward you gave the American to write these essays, the more likely you were to turn him into actually thinking communism is good and democracy is bad. The more you gave him, the less likely he was to accept the idea of communism. Isn't that amazing? Because he has to, he has to justify in his mind 
the fact that he wrote these things out. So anyway, uh, the same process goes on where if you're going to justify violence uh, or, you know, uh, impeachment processes and lying about somebody, uh, which, of course, we've seen a great deal of that in the last four years um, by the media. You have to believe uh, that the person you're lying about is actually a terrible person. You have to demonize them, even dehumanize them. You can you can eventually even kill them if you demonize or dehumanize them enough. You can feel justified in killing them. And of course, I've actually heard that rhetoric coming out of some of the Democrats that they have to punish the people who elected Trump. Now, I'm not interested in Trump versus Biden right now. I'm just talking about what's going on in people's minds that allows this to happen. You know, now you, there's no fraud in the election. There's no foreign influence. They actually don't care if foreigners even vote in the, in the election. Uh, they won't look at ideas of, you know, the, the possible fraud, whether there was enough fraud or not. I don't know. But, uh, I already see a cognitive dissonance on the side of Republicans. Not to look in as deeply as they need to do. I mean, how many of the voting machines that are not in use now, they've already got the data out of them, how many of them have been confiscated to examine what was going on in their processor? You know, there have been people who've gone out and bought the machines and opened them up, you know, scientists and uh, technicians, and they say, these are very tamperable machines. And... uh you know, that it's very easy to tamper with these machines. Now, other people who are selling the machines said, no, they're not. But, you know, others are saying, yeah, and they open it up and they show you, I can access the code, I can do this. And they do this right where you can see them doing it right now. Where is, like one person said, the only one who is serious about voter fraud are the Democrats. Uh, the Republicans never seem to be very serious about it. They are now, to some degree, but I see even a hesitation in them. And it's interesting that, you know, there was a Dr. Drew Weston, uh, I think he was at the University of Atlanta, and, uh, he, he took a bunch of Democrats and Republicans, uh, and he put them in MRI scans to examine their brain. While they were reading reports uh, about different politicians, if it was one of their favorite politicians and they were reading the reports, he actually saw the parts of your brain that are a part of the cognitive, rational part of your brain decreased its activity. Now, a certain amount of emotional activity continued but the part that actually analyzes facts and uh, what you would normally see very active during uh, figuring out rational uh, arguments decreased while they were reading bad things or bad reports about their favorite politicians. I saw the same thing go on with the Article 2, Section 22 in Oregon, which makes most congressmen, most elected officials in Oregon felons because they're almost all in violation of the Article 2, Section 22, 
which uh, is now supposedly, based on the voter machine turnout, <laughs> the Dominion uh, machines say uh, that the uh, a new resolution 107 has passed and is now going to change that constitution. It's not changed on the passage of the vote. It's it's changed in a particular period of time. So anybody who violated it, you know, four years ago or two years ago or eight years ago, uh, those people all committed felons because that was the law at the time. The fact that you've changed the law wasn't overturned by uh, as unconstitutional. It was uh, it's actually tested was tested and proved to be constitutional. But uh, it's it's now been changed by this Measure 107. But the reality is, is that they were all for enforcing this Article 2, Section 22 against Governor Brown, or Kate Brown, we'll call her, because she's in, terribly in violation. The prima facie evidence is that she's not the legitimate governor. But uh, she... Uh, they, they were opposed, they wanted to remove her because she was one of the worst violators of that article in the Constitution. But then they found out that their favorite politician was also in violation. And suddenly they dropped the whole thing. So they allowed Kate to continue in office. They didn't fight her anymore in office. Oh, they, they still didn't like her. But they wouldn't fight her on with their best tool because their favorite politician was also in violation. That is cognitive dissonance where you actually make a choice to allow evil to continue assuming that she is evil and, and my impression of her is she is. You know, my, my son's met her, spoken with her and is not liked by her. <laughs> <laughs> but uh the reality is is that uh uh they were willing to overlook her power to do evil in Oregon because it affected if they enforced it on her that would also affect their favorite politician who was also in violation and therefore also bearing false witness when he swore to up to uphold and sustain the Constitution of Oregon, he was clearly in violation. He should have stepped down as soon as he found out he was in violation. That would have been the honorable thing to do. He didn't because he was suffering from cognitive dissonance. He made an excuse. Well, we have to violate the law in order to have enough money to run against our opponent. And, of course, their opponent is violating the law for the same reason. And, of course... They say they want to stop Kate Brown from doing all the terrible things that she has done and destroying the economy of Oregon and locking down the entire state based on a virus that kills almost nobody. Yeah, kills almost nobody. That's another cognitive dissonance in us. If you think the coronavirus has killed over 150 million people in America, you're suffering from cognitive dissonance. There, there is no evidence that that is actually the case. That's right. There is no evidence that that's actually the case. Unless, of course, you remove from your mind the evidence that that is not the number that has died. 
it's it's more like uh, a small percentage of that. I mean, in Oregon, we only have, uh, I can't remember the actual number of, of coronavirus cases. I mean, it's like under a thousand. Maybe it's over a thousand by now. But are they really coronavirus cases? Well, they took the PCR test and they tested positive. So they must be positively uh, contaminated with coronavirus, right? Because they tested positive. No. No, that, that isn't the case at all. That, uh, the, the, and they talk about uh, the, the PCR test and then now they have the new and improved PCR test, which they call a qualitative detection of RNA from the SARS-CoV-2. That's what they say this new test is. Well, if you actually go and read what the companies who have produced these tests published about the test and, and is actually in the writing, sometimes on the kits themselves, you would understand that there is no test there is no test being used to test for coronavirus that actually tests for coronavirus. That's right. None of these PCR tests are virus specific. I tell that to nurses. I tell that to people who think they're scientists and they cannot believe it. They start making up irrational excuses. Now, if I just tell them that, no. But you have to actually quote the people who invented the tests, the people who are selling and packaging the tests, what did they say? And, you know, I point out that none of these tests are FDA approved. They're all uh, being used as emergency uh, use authorization, which is the EUA uh, Act and the CLIA Act, uh, which is part of Title 42 of the U.S. Codes 263A, if you want to look it up that these aren't approved, that they haven't been properly tested. We don't know if they even work at all, and they claim that they're not virus-specific. So they don't, if you test positive, it doesn't mean you have coronavirus. It doesn't mean that at all. And they say that right on the package. Uh, these uh, qualitative detective uh, detections of RNA tests uh, the word qualitative, that's just a promotional term that they use to try to make you think that it's a quality test. It actually is less accurate than a regular PCR test. And a regular PCR test doesn't tell you. For example, they state positive results are only indicative of the presence of SARS. Indicative doesn't mean that there is a presence. It means that there might be a presence. That's what a positive test means. There might be. Well, if you're already sick, that probably is better evidence than taking the test. Uh, they also say uh, positive results do not rule out bacterial infection or co-infections with other viruses. The agent uh, detected may not be the definite cause of the disease. So, what they detect may not be the cause of the disease. It could be from bacteria. It could be other viruses because it's not virus specific. That's just a fact. But people don't want to hear that because it attacks their delusion. They have, 
they believe that if they take a PCR test, it will tell them if they have coronavirus or not. It does not. It is not designed to do that. It's designed to make you think. (laughs) That's what's happening. They also state, in writing, negative results do not preclude SARS-CoV-2. In other words, if you test negative, it doesn't mean you don't have it. Uh, it It should not be used as the sole basis for patient management decisions. Negative results must be combined with other clinical observations, patient history, epidemiological information. In other words, you don't know anything other than the fact that it has tested you and found RNA debris in your saliva or nasal passages. It is amazing that whole states, whole nations, whole world has been shut down, which will cause the death of millions upon millions of people that were healthy and innocent, not sick, because you shut down. And all the evidence of epidemiologists, the top ones in, in, in the world, say that these shutdowns and social distancing and wearing masks, if they are effective at all and prolonging the virus, will actually kill more people. The virus will kill more people because of what you're doing. They were saying this from day one. Top, the real on-the-ground scientists, epidemiologists were saying this on the ground, but they were not getting into the press. Because the press had another scenario that they were trying to spread. Even the guy who invented the, the original uh, PCR test, the polymerase uh, chain reaction test, which is what PCR stands for, stated that uh, scientists are doing an awful lot of damage to the world in the name of helping it. I don't mind attacking my own fraternity because I am ashamed of it. Now, he's passed away. But the reality is, is you you explain this to people who think they're logical, who think they're scientists, actually got a PhD. You read right off the package and they cannot accept the idea because they've invested too much. They've worn the mask. They have uh, done the social distancing. And so now to tell tell them facts that shows you that you are being deceived, they won't accept it. Now, take my job. I am the one preaching the kingdom of God is at hand within your reach and that you need to repent of the Corbin of the Pharisees, that it makes the word of God to none effect. And I'm considered attacking your delusion. I can I can lay out fact after fact after fact and show you. That's why we have thousands of footnotes and references. Show you the actual meanings of the words, not only in the concordances that are attached to your very Bible, but in other writings, at the very time the Bible was written, that words meant a certain thing then that they don't mean in your head anymore. If if when they say the word pure religion in the Bible, they're talking about how you take care of the widows and orphans of your society. 
and it's only pure if you do it unspotted by the world, and they use the word world there, meaning constitutional orders and systems of government, that that actually means the system of social welfare provided by men who exercise authority one over the other. That spots your religion. That makes your religion impure. The antithesis of pure. If I point that out, can you receive that fact in your mind? Can you accept that idea or will you make up some excuse like, oh, I must be a cult. See, the the people that were in the cult that were waiting for the flying saucers to pick them up on that hill back in December 21, 1957, they were in a cult. They thought all of you were delusional. Now, they had no facts. They, they, nobody had ridden in the flying saucer. <laughs> uh, nobody had met anybody from Clarion. It was all based on what was in Dorothy's head. I don't know, was she in Kansas? I can't remember. Dorothy in Kansas. That does sound familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> but anyway, there's Dorothy Martin. But, uh, Anyway, uh, the reality is is that we don't know what reality is. And how do we find out what reality is? How, how do we understand what reality is? How do we protect ourselves from these strong delusions? I mean, we have, you know, vaccines coming up now. They're now, the vaccines are being approved and they're going to be available. And there's lots and lots of people talking about forced vaccinations. And, of course, they goes back to that original quote that I said. That they don't mind if you think for yourself. As long as what you think for yourself agrees with them. (laughs) So, you can think vaccines are not necessarily a good idea. They're not going to accept that. They're going to want to force you. Just like they forced people into boxcars and sent them off to concentration camps back in World War II. They're going to want to force you to do what they think is right. Because they're suffering from a strong delusion. How do you protect yourself from that? Well, we'll have to find out when we come back. The Keys of the Kingdom. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So... Do we have any way of protecting ourselves against the dangers of cognitive dissonance? You know, we see how when people were being brainwashed in China, uh, captured during the Korean War, that this had a tremendous effect on people. And uh, there were a lot of people that were turned uh, to become uh, haters of America and and, uh, lovers of communism. Uh, even though communism killed far more people. And we see that actually going on in the United States. Supposedly, uh, America has been this terrible, evil, racist nation. Uh, the reality is that uh, Americans ended slavery. The slavery was here. Most people didn't have slaves. Only a small percentage of the people ever had slaves. Slave ownership actually uh, was uh, caused more poverty uh, in the South than, than wealthy people. Uh, that did cause a great deal of wealth for some people, but it actually hampered the South, and which was not 
big into manufacturing or uh, the other industries that they could have developed because they were crippled by this presence of slavery. But the reality is they eventually got rid of it. But now whole nations are enslaved. In the bondage of Egypt, you were considered a slave because you had to give 20% of your labor to the state, to the pharaoh. He, 20% of your labor every year, the value of it, had to go to the pharaoh. And that was called the bondage of Egypt. So if you're living in any country in the world, and 20% of your labor for the general laborer has to go, the value of it has to go to the government, you're back in the bondage of Egypt again. Now that's quite a stressful thing for a lot of people to accept. That there's that you've actually returned to the bondage of Egypt. They don't want to accept that. And see, one of the things that people do, cognitive dissonance, again, is that discomfort that comes when you try to hold two ideas in your mind at the same time that are in conflict. See, you want to hold the idea in your mind that you love Jesus, that you're a moral person, that you're a free person. That you're, you live in the land of the free. In the home of the brave. But the reality is you've returned to the bondage of Egypt. You're again entangled in the elements of the world. So you're not free. But you want to think you're free. So you have to deny what I just told you is true. If... 20% of your labor or more belongs to the government before you have any right to it, you're back in the bondage of Egypt. You have gone that way, even though God said you go that way no more. The people in Israel, or in Judea, we call it Judea at that time, but it's in the location that once was considered to be the location of Israel. Israel isn't a place. It's wherever the people of faith go or live, wherever they put their foot. It's not a geographical location on the planet. It's it's the place where God prevails, where God's will prevails in the hearts and minds of the people. It's not it's not a geopolitical organization. It's it's a heart thing. It's a heart and mind thing. So anyway. When in Judea at that time, Herod had implemented in full scale, nationwide, you could sign up at the temple, get baptized in the laver of the temple, wash up in the laver of the temple, equating it with the washing up at the foot of Mount Sinai, and you would become a part of the temple system. And the temple system operated where you were in a synagogue. Synagogue was ten families. That generally speaking, that's how they organized the synagogue. You can read this in, in, we have footnotes that show you where I'm getting this and I'm making this up. And those ten families would pick a minister and that minister would get together with nine other ministers like himself and then they would pick a minister and eventually you would pass your tithing up through this network of ministers into the temple. And they would keep the paperwork. You paid 10% of your labor. 
or 20% of your labor, whatever it was, and they would pace off your wheat fields and count the branches of the Cummins plants in your windowsill, and they knew what they had coming from you. And this this allowed Herod to build this big golden temple because lots of money was coming in. And then he could pay out benefits. If you were blind, he would supposedly take care of you. If your, uh, you know, if your parents fell on hard times, they could get the free bread that was passed out from the temple. And that was the Corban, the sacrifice of the Pharisees. What you paid in was your sacrifice. Except for the fact that you were required to pay it in. And there was actually law enforcement in the operation. The right hand of government was making sure that you paid in your fair share. And then you would have access to the entitlement benefits offered through that temple and through this whole network of synagogues, of gatherings of ten. And Christ said, that that system was making the word of God to none effect because the sacrifice was not a daily sacrifice that was implemented by voluntary charity. It was a forced offering. And until John the Baptist, everybody, Rome was doing this, many of the Greek city-states were doing this, and they had gone to this system of registration and forced offerings. And Jesus said that Corban, that sacrifice, that's what Corban means, was making the word of God to none effect. So what does this have to do with cognitive dissonance? Cognitive dissonance is when you reach out to rationalize an idea. You you try to rationalize an idea so that you... Don't feel the pain anymore. Now, there's other things you can reach out for to uh, null or dull the pain of the reality that you are compelled to live, like drugs, uh, smoking, promiscuity. Uh, you can do all kinds of things to give you pleasure to release you from the pain of your present life and existence. And, uh, you know... Uh, it's called emotional reasoning, is the cognitive distortion that happens when we try to justify or uh, our emotional reaction using a neat narrative that seems to fit our value system or ideology. You know, now you hear all the 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 Democrats constantly talking about you know we can't pervert our constitution. And that we have to defend our Constitution. They're using all the rhetoric that the Republicans used to do, but uh, they're doing it. They're doing the opposite. And the so, where who isn't suffering from cognitive distortion and cognitive dissonance? This is why the Republicans are having such a difficulty. Because remember that test where they were doing the MRIs of Republicans and Democrats. And they found that both groups, if they were reading bad things about their candidate, their brain, their thinking part of their brain, shut down. They they were not going to accept facts didn't matter to either side. Now, 
there may be, you may find, if you could do an actual survey, that you may find more people interested in facts on one side over the other. The reality is both sides suffer from the fact that the inconvenient truths they don't want to see. And the inconvenient truth is both Republican and Democrat are in favor of a socialist nation, just not the same degree, that provides free education. You know, the the conservatives want free education up through high school. The Democrats want free education up through college. <laughs> so, but the problem is, is that providing free education by taxing your neighbor is coveting your neighbor's goods to provide the benefaction of your society. You see, the Republican side has already committed the sin. The Democrats just want to go farther down that road. But the conservatives want to not go that far. We don't mind coveting our neighbor's goods to this point. We don't mind having Medicare and Medicaid. We don't want universal health care. Well, wait a minute. You've already let the camel's nose and head and neck into the tent. Might as well get the rest of it in there, too. So, the reality is, is that both sides are suffering from cognitive dissonance. So, why is it so important that sacrifice be voluntary? Because it exercises a spiritual muscle. You know you have spiritual muscles. You have muscles in your body. And uh, you have capabilities in your mind to think certain ways. But the reality is that if you don't exercise it, you lose it. Don't use it, you lose it. What the person suffering from cognitive dissonance is, is he would rather not suffer the personal agony of knowing that he was wrong or he was foolish or that he was duped or that he was... Uh, incorrect or that he was in error. He would rather somebody else suffer than him suffer. He would rather you suffer than him suffer the pain of seeing that he was wrong. Now eventually what this comes down to is that he would rather destroy you than to suffer any loss. You know, he he would rather load you on a boxcar and send you off to a concentration camp. He would rather vaccinate you with a lethal vaccination rather than admit that he was wrong. Because he's out of the habit of sacrifice. See, that's what, when you admit you're wrong, you're sacrificing your ego. You know, there are a number of psychologists that are talking about this self-esteem industry actually encourages the people to seek relief from cognitive dissonance through rationalization. Because you have to have this self-esteem. You have to think well of yourself. Even if you have to lie to do it. And, of course, that is exactly why women being beaten by their husbands or their boyfriends keep going back to them. It's because they they have to rationalize that 
that he must really love me. That I'm going back to help him overcome his anger. I will wait on him hand and foot to help him overcome his problem. Because I can't have a problem. It's not me. <laughs> Actually, to some degree, they'll take on all the blame, too. Uh, it, it, there's numerous ways in which this can manifest itself, but none of it has to do with reality. The reality is, is that you have to be willing to suffer for the truth in order to receive the truth, in order to see the truth, in order to accept the truth. You have to be willing to feel the pain. You know, this is one of the things they talk about uh, uh, and for a person to be successful. You know, like uh, the person, he says, I will give you a cookie. You can save this cookie uh, for an hour. At the end of the hour, I will give you another cookie. Or you can just eat the cookie right now. Certain people just eat the cookie right now. You know, they're not worried about future Homer. They're not worried about the future reward. Um, They'll just eat the cookie now. And uh, others will say, oh no, I can wait. I can I can not eat the cookie now because I'll get two cookies later on. Which one will be more successful in life? Right there. It's telling you. The person who's willing to sacrifice instant gratification, instant pleasure, uh, to willing to give up what he already has for the well-being of others is going to move more towards a successful outcome than the person who just wants to be gratified now. I want I want what I want and I want it now. Of course, now if you look at Social Security, people say, well, you know, I paid into Social Security. You know, like, does it seem fair that if you wear a mask and you still get COVID? <laughs> because the mask didn't actually protect you. You'll have to rationalize that. It's like the people get flu shots. I know people get flu shots every year. And they get the flu every year. And they often get the flu within the first 14 days after they got the flu shot. And they still go back for a flu shot the next year. And that you say, well, do you think there's a correlation between the fact that you always get the flu within 14 days after you get the flu shot? And I said, yeah, but I didn't get it as bad as I would have got it. The reality is you probably got it from the flu shot. People say, oh, no, you can't get flu from the flu shot. Yeah, actually, if you read the literature, you can. You can get polio from the polio shot. There's been testimony by Salk himself in front of Congress that most of the cases, almost all the cases... Of polio between 1966 and 1977, I think it was. Or it might be 76, 67 and 76, something like that, for at least 10 years there. Almost all the polio cases were from the vaccine. You know, I pointed this out to somebody who was advocating that, you know, actually believes, this is amazing to me that people actually believe this, I understand why they do, that polio was eradicated by the vaccine. That is absolutely insane to think that. But they think that because that's what they're told 
and it's repeated over and over again and they want to believe it and so they believe it. The reality is polio was eradicated the way most all diseases are eradicated because of herd immunity. And uh, most of the people, 90% of the people, you know, half of the people get the coronavirus, supposedly the coronavirus. We don't even know they're getting the coronavirus because there's no way of detecting whether they're getting the coronavirus through a PCR test. It's this guess. It could be another virus. Another could have been one of the older coronaviruses and not the, the new, supposedly new coronavirus because they're almost identical. But the the reality is is that they we we are operating as if we know what's what's going on and what's happening and what's uh uh being uh, you know like the vaccines that we think that the polio vaccine eradicated polio and the reality is that 90% of the people who got polio never showed a single symptom that's that's the science of it now because they went out and tested people who never knew they had polio and they found out that 90% of the people like in New York already had polio and were immune and they had the antibodies and they never even knew that they had polio. Uh, that's how come it disappeared. It's because most of the people were getting it, getting over it and never even getting sick. And of the 5% that did get sick, most of them recovered. There's only a small percentage. It was a very fast-moving, in the, in the summertime, very fast-moving disease. It's generally speaking, it's a waterborne or it gets into your gut. That's where it lives. It's not an airborne one like a coronavirus. But the reality is that's where it went. And all the data shows that that is the case. But all the media doesn't tell you. And that's because the vaccine industry doesn't tell you. So, and the fact is that people are still getting polio today from the vaccine. That's CDC admits that. But the news reporting won't tell you. So, what's really going on here is that because you do not take care of one another through charity... Like John the Baptist commanded and insisted and preached and Jesus commanded and insisted and preached and Moses commanded and insisted and preached and the Ten Commandments insists that you do not covet your neighbor's goods especially to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, the men in government who call themselves benefactors according to Christ. That if you don't if you don't do it through charity, you will be made blind. You won't see. You won't see the truth. You won't perceive the truth. You will fall prey to cognitive dissonance. And you will not accept the facts that vaccines are not your salvation, Trump is not your salvation, Biden is not your salvation, repentance is the first step towards salvation, and repentance is thinking a different way. In order to think a different way, you have to suffer the pain to know that you haven't been thinking correctly up to now. 
So I'm just using the correlation of the virus. The reality is that scientists have been studying this idea of cognitive dissonance for quite some time now. And they've come to the conclusion that uh, that you can uh, actually make yourself sick. You not only will get this mental conflict in you, uh, you know, this, uh, but you can actually make yourself ill. It says, and because our mind and body are interdependent units, in time, we can also be at risk of physical illness. You know, they say if if we uh, chronically feel high levels of dissonance, we are at risk for anxiety and depression disorders. When these guys go and kill family members and then go out and kill strangers... This is kind of an ultimate cognitive dissonance. Uh, cutters, uh, masochists, uh, who, uh, you know, mutilate themselves. They are suffering from this anxiety and depression that comes from cognitive dissonance. To reverse that, is to start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. Uh, and that's what, you know, Margaret Mead, taking it back to Margaret Mead. She was seen civilization as a moral institution, a caring institution, where people were thinking about others as much as they think about themselves. So therefore, a guy breaks his femur bone, they take care of him until he can heal back. This is, this is the cure, and most of the people I know who are suffering from anxiety and depression need to simply start thinking about others as much as they think about themselves. If you want to know the truth, you know, about masks or vaccines or politicians or voter fraud or any of these things, you have to start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. This is why you should be gathering in your own synagogues, in your own congregation. A synagogue is just a congregation of people. And start caring about one another as much as they care about themselves. And like that policeman I talked about earlier in the show who grabbed the guy he didn't even know. Went over the cliff, hanging on to him, trying to save his life, until only his feet were hanging up enough so that his partner could grab him and save him from going completely over. He had to care about somebody he didn't even know. And Christ talks about this. You know, thieves and robbers love each other. You know, in in their own way. And uh, they... They care about one another enough, I mean, they kiss each other and, uh, and, uh, you know, on the cheek kind of thing, you know, the, the mafioso kind of thing, but then they will go out and kill other people. Because that they, ha- thieves and robbers have this love for one another. You have to, if you want to enter the therapy that overcomes the cognitive dissonance of the world, you have to care about others you don't even know. 
which is why Moses and God and Jesus and John the Baptist was setting up this network of small intimate congregations where you learn to care about one another. But a portion of what you care about had to go all the way to Galatia or all the way to Ephesus or all the way to Corinth or Syria to help them out because you had to care about others you didn't even know as much as you care about yourself. That sacrifice... That willingness to suffer the pain of letting something go, of sacrificing something, allows the spiritual muscles in your being to exercise enough so that you can also accept the fact that you were wrong about something or that you didn't see something or that you were in error. And so, therefore, cognitive dissonance, the rationalization that comes with that cognitive dissonance, begins to dissipate out of your reality. And you begin to know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Moses and Jesus came to set you free from the bondage of Egypt. If you're in the bondage of Egypt now... You have to do what they said. We'll be back. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, the truth shall set you free. Well, the truth about yourself is essential. That You have to accept the truth about yourself in order for you to see the truth about the world. To simply look out and try to figure out the truth by looking at everybody else's problems, everybody else's faults, doesn't get you any closer to the truth. In order to be able to handle the truth, you have to be willing to see the truth about yourself. And the truth about yourself is that you're a sinner. And that you may not be doing what Christ actually said to do. You may actually be doing contrary to what Christ said to do. And most Christians are engaged in the Corbin of Pharisees, making the word of God to none effect. Like I said, you know, People talk about Social Security being solvent and it would be solvent and they weren't pilfering it all the time. And the reality is from the beginning we show you this in the actual laws as they were written. You read the Social Security Act. From the beginning, the Social Security Act was created because the government was already bankrupt. And the Federal Reserve, which is contrary to the Bible... The, the values that were expressed by Moses and by Jesus are contradicted in the creation of the Federal Reserve was not going to loan any more money into circulation and it caused a depression until it had more collateral and the Social Security Act was to create that collateral. You, your labor. And we go through this step by step. We've written whole books on it. We've quoted the guys who who wrote the Social Security Act showed you what they were thinking and how it was put together. And the reality is that Social Security was bankrupt at its inception. It was created because the nation was bankrupt. And it didn't want to go into receivership, so it obtained more collateral. The people became a surety for the debt of the rest of the United States. And there is no trust fund that is separate that was sacrosanct. 
Because what Social Security is, it's the religion of the Pharisees that makes the Word of God in none effect. But the worst thing about it, besides the fact that it was plummeting you more and more into debt, making your children a surety for that debt, therefore cursing them with the debt that you're now passing on to them, the worst thing about it is that you stop the daily sacrifice in the temple of God. The temple of God is made without hands. It's a human network of people caring about one another as much as they care about themselves. And in that daily sacrifice for one another, you become immune to the lie. You, the, the dollar lie and the $20 lie. <laughs> Both of them. You become immune to that. You're less likely to be brainwashed by the media. And so, the free exercise clause in the Constitution of the United States, which eventually will probably be done away with if history repeats itself. That's what They had such a clause in Rome. Christians were allowed to practice their religion, which was a private religion. They took care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. Everybody else was doing it through force, fear, and fealty. And they got away with that until about 250 A.D. And then in some parts of the Roman Empire, they outlawed private religion. So they no longer had the protection of the free exercise clause of the Constitution of Rome. Now, you have a Constitution of the United States, and many other countries have similar things, and that First Amendment is, Congress shall make no laws respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Well, if religion is how you take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society, Social Security is an establishment of religion. It's public religion. We have articles that go through this step by step so you can read it. And you can go to our the free exercise clause. Um, well, actually, you go to freedom of religion and I will add eventually the free exercise clause information on that but freedom of religion is this freedom to take care of one another through faith hope and charity you have the right to do that if you organize organize yourselves as christ commanded in the tens hundreds and thousands and you do this under the overseership not the rulership under the overseership because we can't exercise authority over anybody we can't exercise authority over the practice of religion, which is the taking care of the needy of your society. If you do it according to the way Christ said to set it up, which we explain in the Free Church Report, you get to practice that religion, that sacrifice, until you are able to see without fear of pain, whatever the truth is. I can't tell you what the truth is. We make lots of references to it. But the truth, the real truth, has to be discovered in your heart and your mind. And it's a gift to see it. I can't give you that gift. I can talk about it. But if you're going to see the truth, that's a gift that comes in this spiritual realm. 
the Holy Spirit, we call it the Holy Spirit, will dwell in you and you will begin to see the truth on a day-to-day basis about everything. You won't need to listen to Dorothy and go up on a hill and wait for flying saucers to save you. You won't even be inclined to do that. You will begin to make judgments day by day that will guide you in your life, uniquely in your life. But it requires that you change your thinking about other people taking care of you and you think about taking care of other people in a way that strengthens those people. Not just take care of them. Don't just throw your money at at poverty. But you actually do it in a way that helps strengthens the poor and you will be strengthened. Your prayers will be heard. It will change the soul of society. Right now, the soul of society covets their neighbor's goods. They call themselves Christians. They say, Lord, Lord. But they're still coveting their neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority. They have not created a daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity. So therefore, they have believed a lie and will remain under a strong delusion. And they will have to justify that delusion with all sorts of rationalizations. But it's very simple. You are in the bondage of Egypt. You're there because of your covetous practices, which Peter told you you would. this is going to be the results of. Your covetous practices that you would be made merchandise. You would become surety for debt. You would curse your children with that debt. Peter made that abundantly clear. And certainly desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor is is coveting your neighbor's goods. So, you haven't done what Paul said. Paul says, you know, the covetous, you're not to have anything to do with. So, if Paul was talking, you know, I always say, you know, people said that we're saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, how do you know this? Because Paul said that we are. no. Paul wasn't necessarily talking about you. Are you still coveting your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority? Are you still pushing your children into greater and greater debt through your love of the benefits and that you have become accustomed to receiving at the expense of your neighbor? Well, then you're not following Christ. You haven't repented. You're still thinking like the Pharisees. You're still thinking... Like the Sadducees, you're still thinking like Caesar. That it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. And so all you have to do is change your thinking enough to say, you know, we ought to come together and do this ourselves through charity. That's the practice of religion. And that's why I wrote the Free Church Report, put it out there in PDF for free as you can read it but you may need to understand those other things that you know somebody wrote on Facebook they put up a picture of uh, I think it was Scooby Doo cartoon picture and they were all looking and everything and it says that's me looking for the contract that makes it so they can tell me what to do well I wrote the guy he says read the book Covenants of the Gods which is we have free online. There's 15 chapters there that show you how you make these contracts. 
It's that's not hard to find. It isn't that you sign a contract like a, a recording contract with all the whereases and <laughs> for, that you've agreed to the benefit. The greatest destroyers of liberty are the granters of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. We've known that for thousands of years. That when people become accustomed to live at the expense of others and depend for their livelihood on the property of others, which is a covetous practice, they will degenerate into perfect savages and find once more a monarch and a king. We've known this for thousands of years. We've seen examples of it over and over again. But the solution is not voting in a better Caesar. It's learning to live together by faith, hope, and charity. That will strengthen you. That will unite you. That will bind you by love and honor rather than force and fear and fealty. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important for your soul. But then... Most of you can't actually see your soul. <laughs> so, so why is it important? So, well, the fact is, is like we mentioned, they're coming out with a vaccine pretty soon here. And uh, I guess it, to some degree, they've been testing Oregon for some time. Uh, what do you know about that? I mean, we talked about the PCR test at the beginning of the show. What do you know about vaccines I mean the, the word vaccine it comes from a Latin word vicinus uh, vicina uh, and that actually you know what that means that comes from the word vaca uh, which is the Latin word for cow a vaccine is uh, it, it's a variola vaccina uh, cowpox that's what that is and what they were doing with the first vaccine is they were injecting you with cowpox. You you can't get cowpox. That's from another species. And so they were they were taking fluids from a cow that had cowpox and they injected it in people so they would develop an immunity to because of the similarity between cowpox and smallpox, you would you develop an immunity to smallpox. And the reason they did this is they noticed that all the Milkmaids were already immune to smallpox. They didn't get smallpox when everybody else did. And and smallpox was highly contagious at that time. I mean, but smallpox has probably been around off and on for thousands of years. There's a there's a, a outbreak that appears to be smallpox in Rome that uh, either killed or incapacitated almost half of the male population and uh, it went through them rapidly they'd picked it up in another country when they were making war over in that other country and it came back and it devastated the people in Rome and there's a lot of reasons that that happened there were things that they could do but eventually this immunity to smallpox passed down and occasionally because it would be coming intermittent probably a similar strain but you know mutated strain and it would come back and it would make people sick again, but not devastate quite as many as it was in the earliest days because you were carrying down this more robust immune system. When smallpox came to America, the Indians had no protection. They had never been exposed to it, and they didn't survive it 
as well as the whites could because they didn't have that robust immune system. But the Indians who did survive, they're now passing down that immunity. So anyway, this is the way it works. And you actually could develop immunity because there's, you know, like a, there's a, a horsepox too that's like 99.7% identical uh, to the cowpox. And the reality is, is that in our interaction with these animals can actually help us develop an immune system. That we can actually pick up immunity to these things by our association. Because is it the, why was the milkmaid immune? Because she was exposed to the antibodies that the cow was naturally producing. Not just the disease, but to the antibodies. And so therefore, she could become immune. So now they're trying to do this with what they're calling vaccinations, but it's not cowpox they're doing. They're actually trying to create a milder form of the disease by, you know, treating it with formaldehyde and whatever, and then injecting that in you and producing an immune response. And they've claimed to have cured polio. But now they're coming out with this new vaccine that doesn't come from a cow or a horse or a mouse or a monkey like the polio vaccine. And we've talked about, you know, the P54 uh, protein uh, that uh, was decimated in the human body because of a monkey virus, simian virus, that you picked up with a lot of the polio vaccines. And that has killed millions of people through cancer. And we've gone through that process. So the point is, is that because the media says it's true, doesn't make it so. You have to actually look at the actual facts. But in order to look at the actual facts, you have to be willing to see what you're actually looking at. So, you know, Pfizer is one of these guys who's come out with a uh, vaccine. And there's warnings with this new vaccine, this new coronavirus vaccine, which is an RNA vaccine which is a synthetic vaccine. It's not coming from animals. And it's never ever been approved. No, no RNA vaccine has ever been approved for people. And they're talking about forced vaccinations. And they may not force everybody to get it, but you may not be able to fly on a plane ever again. You may not be able to get a lot of jobs if you don't have your certificate of immunity. But what a lot of people don't know is on the... Uh, uh, Information that goes to healthcare workers giving the shots. They are told that you should not be giving the shot to people who are breastfeeding. And that if you give this shot to anybody, they should avoid pregnancy for two months. And it also states that it is unknown the fertility impacts of this vaccine. Will it make all your children sterile? Will it end up reducing the world population by sterilizing millions of people? Probably the first wave of vaccinations will not do that because they've diluted it down. The first trials, so many people got sick, they've had to dilute it down and dilute it down. So, the fact is, is why are anybody getting it? It's because cognitive dissonance is the common factor in the thinking of the world. It's why they've been able to shut down the uh, the entire planet 
which will cause the deaths of millions upon millions of people, already is, starvation, destroyed economies, weakening the population so that they're less equipped to deal with real disaster, which they may be planning. That's that's the scuttlebutt from right out of the White House. Washington, D.C. is warning of this. Uh, the World Economic Forum is warning of this terrorist act before the end of the year. Maybe it will come. Maybe it won't. I don't know. I'm not expecting flying saucers to save us. <laughs> like uh, Dorothy was. But the reality is, bad things happen. Uh, and they happen to good people. But the better you are, the better prepared you are, spiritually, mentally, to see the truth as it unfolds before you, to accept the reality and the facts as it unfolds before you. And the more you are together as a people, bound not by force, not by fear, not by fealty, but by faith, hope, and charity, the better prepared you will be and the better protected you will be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you are truly seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not your self-righteousness. Not the self-righteous systems of the world who covet their neighbor's goods. But the righteousness of God where you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. Are you willing to sacrifice for the life of others. If you are, if you're willing to lay down your life for others, you may be able to pick up your life more abundant. If God willing. But that's why they call it faith. That you do it because you can see no other alternative. So all we're saying, and we encourage everybody to join the network, to uh, gather in those tens, hundreds, and thousands, because Christ commanded it, not just because it's a good idea and it makes a lot of sense. And that the French underground did it during the Nazi occupation. But because your heart is leading you to gather with others. To learn to care about others as much as you care about yourself. So that if a bull gores you and breaks your femur bone or your hip or whatever. Or you fall off a ladder. That you have other people there to care about you because you were there to care about other people. If you're not there to care about other people, don't expect other people to care about you. Don't expect God to hear your prayers. Because you have failed to sacrifice in the temple of the living God, which is a living temple. It's a it's a gathering of stones and altars of earth that are moving according to the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Moses, the spirit of Abraham, who are willing to step out into the world with no other protection than righteousness and face, you know, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortunes, if I may borrow from Shakespeare. <laughs> Without dreaming a dream, without the cognitive dissonance of a strong delusion, you are in bondage of Egypt. 
You're there because of the covetous practices of your family and probably you. And that is part of the good news because now you can repent. Now you can think differently. Now you can think about caring about one another as much as you care about yourself. But that's that's what seeking the kingdom of God is all about. So anyway, you can go... Uh, I put up the audios on the, our Freedom of Religion uh, page that I talked about that and uh, putting together more stuff on our Cognitive Dissonant page. Go to preparingyou.com. Uh, join the network. Uh, go to hisholychurch.org and it will lead you to the same links to join the network. The network is just an email group. That email group will allow you to find people in your local area or are willing to perceive their own delusions and look at the possibility that the truth of Christ and the truth of the gospel of the kingdom has been kept from you. And you have missed it. It's right there in the text. But if you will follow the truth, follow the way of Christ, more and more will be revealed to you. As time goes on. And you will know what to do. Uh, and you will know where to be. And to do that thing that is essential for your salvation and the salvation of your family. Remember that it says, if, when they told that guy to get baptized, and him and all his family would be saved, he was he he knew what baptism was. Baptism was moving from one system to the other. Moving from a system that operated by force, fear, and fealty to a system that operated by faith, hope, and charity. Right now, most people are in that system of force, fear, and fealty. They are not free. They are in the bondage of Egypt. But all that can change if you were to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Till then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. See you on the network. Turn that network into a living network. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.